I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that the word I preached to you, unless that word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Good morning. We are thankful for the presence of each and every one that is here this morning. We have a good number, and we hope that you will join along in a study of the Word of God with us this morning. We are certainly encouraged by your presence here this morning, and we hope that we have been an encouragement to you as we have tried to glorify our God and Father in heaven. We are so uh, glad that we are able to have this opportunity this first day of the week, and we hope that you will join in with us as we study from the Word of God. This morning, we are going to continue our theme as we have chosen for this year. The gospel is for all. And we have explored the nature of the gospel over the past several months. And we have seen, uh, Ty, if there's a question, that, that's my first slide. So, okay. Uh, but we have explored the nature of the gospel as we have... Uh, looked at this theme. We've tried to define what the gospel is. We have seen that the gospel was in a sense proclaimed to Abraham and that it was something that came in the form of a promise, that God was promising something to Abraham and that it was a way in which God was going to be able to bless all nations and families of the earth through Abraham. And Abraham believed God's promise. The Old Testament prophets like Isaiah gave us more information about the Messiah that was to come, the promised one that God would send in whom He would bless all families of the earth. We've looked at when Jesus was born, how angels announced good news to the shepherds, and Jesus also came to embrace His mission to preach the gospel despite the temptations that he faced as we looked at last month. Jesus was the sinless and perfect Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. When John the Baptist was out in the wilderness preaching, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1 and verse 29, when Jesus came to him, it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was known as the sinless and perfect Son and Lamb of God. He came to take away the sin of the world. That was his ultimate mission. He defeated Satan time and again, overcoming temptation. But as the Lamb of God, He came with the purpose to give His life. 
when John saw Jesus there as the Lamb of God, he recognized that Jesus came to give His life, to lay down His life. And that is the Gospel that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In many ways, when we think about the Gospel, we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as Paul said in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Why did Jesus die? It's a question that we've probably all asked ourselves. And I think whenever we stop and we pause And we look within the Scriptures for some of the benefits that we might receive from the death and resurrection of Jesus. There we will find why Jesus was willing to lay down His life. Why He was willing to go to the cross to give His life. So this morning I want us to think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. But I want us to look at it within the context and within this framework of some of the benefits that we receive. We know and I believe, I trust that many of us already profess to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for our sins. We don't question that. Many of us here have already made that confession of faith that we believe that Jesus died and that He rose on the third day. And so there's not a question of faith in that sense that many of us already believe that. But this morning I want us to think more about some of the things that we benefit from as a result of Jesus' death. And resurrection. And the first thing that I want us to think about is the atonement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 3, Paul says there that Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins. Those three words, for our sins, it designates something that is extremely important about Jesus and his death and why he went to the cross. And that is that He went there because of our sins. That He gave His life for us. For the things that we have done that were wrong when we transgressed God's commandment, when we broke God's law, Jesus died for that. And don't let that escape our attention and the importance of it. Jesus gave His life because of what we did. And that is why in the book of 1 John, John uses this word that is sometimes elusive and it can be hard to uh, pin down in its definition. But in 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 2, as he is talking about Jesus Christ being our advocate, He is the righteous one, 
And it says in verse 2, in verse John chapter 2 and verse 2, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Just a couple of chapters later, John would use the word again in 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That term propitiation is a hard word to pin down sometimes, but it means an appeasement necessitated by sin. Expiation. Instrument for appeasement. It's the sacrifice to atone. It is the sin offering. It is so intricately connected with the ideas of the Old Testament in that on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would offer sacrifices, and whenever he would take the blood of the Lamb and he would go into the most holy place once each year, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, that word mercy seat that is used in the book of Hebrews talking about the physical uh, Ark of the Covenant, the lid, the mercy seat, it's also the word for propitiation. Propitiation was made through the sacrifice and the death and the blood that was put on that Ark of the Covenant. And whenever John is using that word propitiation, the Apostle Paul uses it as well in the book of Romans to describe the death of Jesus. The word propitiation affirms that through the death of Jesus, our sins have been removed. We have been atoned or purified. We have been cleansed. That's the result of Jesus dying for our sins. Atonement. That might be a word that we don't use a whole lot because we don't think of the sacrificial system very much. But atonement means that the relationship between us and God that was damaged by sin and broken because of our wrongdoing, it has been repaired. While we were not one with God now because of Jesus, we are at one with God. We are atoned. And that's something that the Apostle Paul picks up on in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, that we are one with God because of the death of Jesus Christ. The word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 5 is the word reconciliation. In Romans chapter 5 and in verse 10, he says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That term reconciliation, it is the exchange of hostility for friendship. Think of someone that maybe when you were in high school, you, you just could not stand them. You, you just you knew them and you just you thought you hated their guts. And then 
after a while, maybe you have a couple of classes with them, maybe you have, you're stuck with them as a science lab partner or something, and then you realize that you actually have more in common with them than you once thought. We all probably have someone like that in our life, and you have then begun to develop a friendship with them. That is on a very basic level what the idea of reconciliation is. It's whenever you were hostile towards someone, now you have exchanged that for a friendship. And because of what Jesus Christ did in going to the cross and offering His life, God initiated a friendship. When we transgressed His law, when we broke and violated what He told us, Notice what Paul says in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, at one point when we were a sinner, before we had been saved, we were enemies with God. We were God's enemy because we had chosen to turn our back on Him and we had chosen to make friends with the world in James the fourth chapter, in James chapter four. In James chapter four, James describes this relationship that we chose to have with the world as spiritual adultery, where we were completely unfaithful to God. In James chapter four and verse four, he says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility? Toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And as long as we choose the world and what it has to offer, as the temptations that are thrown at us, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, when we choose to give in to that, we make ourselves an enemy of God. But because of Jesus going to the cross, we have been reconciled. And that is very connected with this idea of atonement, that we are now one with God. Now, while we were we used to be enemies, now we are friends with God. Because when we have faith and when we believe in God, Abraham being the pinnacle of an example of someone who exemplified true, deep, and abiding faith. James uses him as the example in James chapter 2 and in verse 23 as he's talking about Abraham and how he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, he says, and he was called the friend of God. When we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, when we believe in Christ Jesus, we become God's friend. That's reconciliation. Because of the atoning blood that Jesus made where we have been purified and cleansed and our sins have been washed away, they have been removed from us. Now we can be friends with God. The Apostle Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 1 in the greatness of this salvation. 
He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I don't know if I could elaborate on what every spiritual blessing that we have received might possibly be. I believe Paul goes on to list several different things. I don't even know if he listed every spiritual blessing that we have received. But what he does say in verse 7 is that in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And when we talk about the atonement, when we talk about Jesus and His death, and we talk about these words like atonement or reconciliation, we're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins. The debt has been released. While we were stained by the filth and the guilt and the condemnation that we were deserving of. Jesus offering His life offered a better alternative. Where we can be forgiven. That's one of the benefits that we receive because of Jesus' death. Then, another benefit as we have seen in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, we've looked at verses 10 and 11 where Paul talks about the reconciliation that we received. But in verse 9, there's another word that many of us have probably used and we are very familiar with. And we hear a lot of people use this word to talk about one of the major benefits of Jesus' death and that we receive. He says in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. We've all probably said, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I enjoy the blessing of salvation. But what do we really mean by that term? When we talk about that, I think a lot of people in the religious world, they think of it as kind of this warm, fuzzy word that... I have been saved. And it should certainly bring about those kinds of feelings that we have admiration for what God and Jesus Christ have done where we are appreciative and thankful. We need to express that thanksgiving to God for the salvation that we have. But it begs the question, what exactly have we been saved from? And Paul tells us in Romans 5 and verse 9, that we have been saved from the wrath of God. And that might be an idea that many people don't necessarily feel a whole lot of comfort in talking about. But it is the reality of what God has done. Because a part of the Gospel that we need to talk about and we need to be familiar with. And something that we might be tempted to neglect and to put on the back burner and forget about is talking about the justice and the wrath of God. When we talk about sin, 
when we talk about forgiveness of our sins, we need to recognize that when we sin, God, as He expects of us, as His creation, He expects us to conform to His image and to His holiness. And when we sin, it is an act of rebellion against God. We are disdaining that image and the holiness of God. We are transgressing the law that He has given us. And our God, while He is a God of mercy and compassion, He is also a God who does not ignore rebellion and sin. In the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34, as God is revealing Himself to Moses. In Exodus chapter 34 and in verse 6, notice what the Lord God tells Moses about Himself. If we were to describe God, let's just look at what, how God describes God. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Those are all wonderful qualities that we love about our God. But He goes on, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. There is something there that we need to recognize about God is that God is a God who holds us accountable. He holds us accountable when we sin, when we transgress and break His commandments. And we experience wrath. It is a judicial wrath, a punishment. For sin. And Jesus died so that we could be saved from receiving that wrath and the punishment that comes with it. And when you see this idea of salvation, it is in so many ways connected with being rescued and being delivered and being brought out of the condemnation that this world is going to experience. In Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 40, notice what he says. Peter said, and with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. That this generation is destined for judgment and condemnation. And anyone who is not saved, anyone who does not come to believe in Jesus Christ and the atoning death that He offered and the blood that He shed, they will not escape the condemnation that God's wrath will bring upon them in eternity in hell away from God. In the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1 and in verse 4. In Galatians chapter 1 and in verse 4, 
The Apostle Paul, he doesn't use the word salvation here, but I think he does use a word that is very much related to salvation. That Jesus Christ, as he's describing, who gave himself for our sins, there's that phrase again, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. That we have been rescued. We were in danger. Before Jesus came and offered His blood on the cross and before He gave His life, we stood in jeopardy. We stood condemned for an eternity in hell. And if you have never believed in Jesus Christ and have been obedient to His Gospel, that is the fate that you will suffer. Jesus gave His life to rescue you from danger. He came to offer an alternative. Something besides eternal condemnation, He has brought about eternal salvation. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 7, in the book of Hebrews, in, the Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 7, and in verse 25, as the Hebrew writer is talking about the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, he says in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse 25, therefore He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. That this is a salvation that is eternal. By Jesus' blood and by His resurrection we are saved and we are given the blessed assurance of an eternal salvation. Sometimes I hear people who have obeyed the gospel and that maybe they've been a Christian for a number of years and they might end up expressing some kind of doubt about their salvation and say, you know, I just don't know if I'm saved or not. Maybe they're getting near death and they are facing their own mortality and they just are grappling with that question that I don't really know. I don't feel saved. And if assuming that they have been a Christian for all of their life, that they have been obedient to the Gospel, that they responded to the Lord's invitation, that they were baptized into Christ, I tell them, I believe you can have assurance, even in the face of death, that as real as the death of Jesus was on the cross and as real as His resurrection was, that is as real as your assurance and confidence can be. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you believe that He died and that you joined and were united with Him in baptism, 
then you can have assurance even in the face of death. Some people will abandon that faith. But others will cling to it. Looking forward to that imperishable promise in heaven that is reserved for us. Jesus offered His blood to save us from the wrath of God. To offer us an eternal salvation. Praise be to God. The third and final thing that I want us to consider this morning. Third benefit, and this is uniquely connected with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 4 and in verse 24, as the Apostle Paul has been talking about faith and justification, he's been talking about the example of Abraham. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 24, it says, But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So Paul is wanting us to think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we believe and we have faith that Jesus was raised. And in verse 25, He who is delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. The idea of our justification, Paul connects in a very unique way with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word justification, it is a word that can sometimes be translated righteousness, that we have been put in a right standing before God. By His grace, He has justified us or made us right. The term justification is oftentimes used in a legal sense. While we were guilty of sin, we were worthy of death and punishment and condemnation. Justification is granting us release from that condemnation of which we were worthy. You think about that in comparison to our judicial system here. If someone is on trial and they are on trial for some crime that they might have committed, and then whenever they are given a sentence, first trial I really remember that got national news coverage when I was a kid was O.J. Simpson trial. And I remember the verdict coming in. I was in fourth grade and we watched the trial. We watched the verdict. And they did not pronounce him innocent, did they? They pronounced him not guilty. Right? He was acquitted of the charge. Because our legal system is not going to assume innocence. It's going to assume that you're not guilty of this particular crime. They're not saying that he's free of any crime at all. Or that he did not commit this particular crime. At least the way that the jury saw it. 
That's not justification in the biblical sense. God justifying you, He doesn't just say you're not guilty. He says you are innocent of all sin. Everything that you've ever done, it's taken away. It's removed. And He does that by His grace. Because of Jesus Christ. The righteousness is not a borrowed or transferred righteousness from Christ. It is a gift from God. God in His power and in His grace who is able to create the world from nothing is powerful and gracious enough to make you into something new and to wipe you completely clean. It doesn't mean that we're always going to remain that way. John tells us that we must confess our sins. God is faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins. But what God does is in justification, He completely transforms us. And the basis of Paul talking about justification is the resurrection. This is so critical for understanding justification, I believe. Is that he says, just as the death of Jesus was part of our forgiveness and God's plan to atone sins. Jesus died for our sin. But then He was also raised for our justification. And it's a two-part process. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, don't we? In Romans chapter 6, as Paul talks about baptism, that we... When we are baptized, the old man of sin is crucified. He's put to death. But that's part of it. That's not the only thing. After you are baptized and you come up out of the water, you're raised to walk in newness of life. And Paul says in verse 5, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. In chapter 12 of the book of Romans, and in verse 1, or verse 2 rather, in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 2, Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world. Don't act like this world. Don't think like this world. Don't dress like this world. Don't talk like this world. Don't behave like this world. But he says what? Be transformed. Be something new. Be something different. That's justification. It's not that just that your sins are washed away. It's now you have been given a new life. Pure and free from sin and the guilt of condemnation. That's why Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Because we have been justified to be a new creature. 
not to behave like the world, but to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was the critical moment in God's plan in which secured salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, and atonement. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus our Lord is the pivotal moment in the Gospel. And it proclaims that Jesus our Savior and King gave His life for us. That He was raised from the dead. And He gives us hope. He gives us life. He gives us forgiveness, salvation, and justification. And we must be willing to believe in Him. We must be willing to confess our faith in Jesus. And as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, one final passage for us, and then the lesson will be yours. In Romans chapter 6 and in verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Jesus Christ gave His life. And the Gospel is about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It gives us hope. But the Gospel also is a call. It's an invitation for you to come and participate and be united in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And as He gave His life, and that He was raised to die never again, You can be justified. You can be saved today if you will be united with Him in baptism. Maybe it is that you have already been united with Christ in baptism, but you've not been living faithfully. Maybe you have doubts about your salvation. Maybe you've allowed sin to come into your life. We want to help you and encourage you this morning. If there is anything that we can do, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing?